This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. On February 27, 1986, The Cosby Show, then the most popular TV show in America, aired an episode where this happened. To provide some context to what you just heard, that's Lisa Bonet's character, Denise Huxtable, sitting on a sofa with her boyfriend, Eddie, watching a music video for Black Uhuru's Spongy Reggae. Now let that sink in for a moment. How often did you hear Roots Reggae on American network television in the 80s? Though just a few minutes in length, and part of a comedic bit, it really is an extraordinary moment when a Black Uhuru song was broadcast during a show about the Black American experience into the American heartland. Black Uhuru were on a roll at the time this episode of The Cosby Show aired, having released five critically acclaimed albums in quick succession, including Sinsamia in 1980, Red in 1981, Chill Out in 1982, and both Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and Anthem in 1983, with the latter winning the first Grammy Award for Best Reggae Album in 1985. Interestingly, in a stroke of marketing genius, Black Uhuru tipped its hat to little Stephen Van Zant, then the guitarist for Bruce Springsteen, by recording a reggae version of his song Solidarity. I think it's fair to say that in the early to mid-80s, Black Uhuru were having a moment. My name is Michael Rose. My name is Puma. My name is Ducky Simpson. I'm Sly Dunbar. My name is Robert Shakespeare. What's the matter, people? Solidarity. Solidarity. Everybody wants the same thing down there. Everybody wants a happy end. They want to see the game on Saturday. They want to be somebody's friend. Hi, I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Punky Reggae Party, a special audio documentary series of the Skaboom podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network that focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music that will explore the phenomena of punk and post-punk bands adopting the sounds of reggae and vice versa. I'm excited that Ska Boom is now a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which is the MTV of podcasting, featuring a wide range of music shows focused on history, interviews, 
commentary, news, careers, industry reviews, conversations, books, films, comedy, and more. The network of 70 shows is hosted by producers, radio DJs, musicians, fans, comedians, actors, authors, and celebrities. More than any other reggae artist, Black Uhuru have successfully and consistently transcended stylistic barriers, yet they have done so without compromising either the genre or the philosophy that propels it. And after the death of Bob Marley in 1981, the mantle of bringing the sound of reggae to America was taken up by Black Uhuru. The word Uhuru is taken from the Swahili word for freedom, and for a time in the 80s, Black Uhuru, featuring its classic vocal trio lineup of Michael Rose, Puma Jones, and Ducky Simpson, backed by Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare, were arguably the finest Jamaican vocal group in the world. Black Uhuru's It Band status had been cemented in 1979 when Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones recorded guitar on the single Shine Eye Gal, and the Stones later added the band as an opener for their Wembley Stadium shows in 1982 which further introduced them to a mainstream white audience. The band was formed in the mid-70s by Simpson with Garth Dennis and Don Carlos. The group played hotel and small club gigs across Jamaica without making much of an impression. They did, however, record a single in 1972 called Folk Song. Dennis and Carlos quit after the release of the single, and Ducky's next move was to team up with Michael Rose and a singer named Errol. And this version recorded an album called Love Crisis for Prince Jammy. The album was unsuccessful, and Simpson and Rose regrouped to write songs and find a woman singer to complement their harmonies. As the story goes, Simpson was walking past an apartment window one day, when he heard a woman singing Bob Marley's Natural Mystic. As it turns out, that woman was Sandra Puma Jones, an American from South Carolina, who at Simpson's invitation joined the group in 1978. Jones had an MSW degree from Columbia University, but after becoming disillusioned with life in New York City, decided to discover her roots and move to Jamaica. The addition of Jones, who sang briefly with Miriam McCaba, and the Sons of Negus was the final piece that convinced Sly and Robbie to back the trio. The band recorded the Showcase album in 1979, which debuted their haunting vocal harmonies, inventive instrumentation, and roots message. You see, blood don't mean no harm, blood. Oh, 
black Uhuru are being widely tipped to take over Marley's international profile after his death speaks volumes about their rapid rise and popularity at this stage of their career. The group's album Red, which was later nominated as one of the 25 best albums of all time by Rolling Stone magazine, featured the fiery Youth of Eglinton, which was an acknowledgement of the struggles of black youth around the world, and the irresistible spongy reggae. As a review of Red in the Washington Post in 1982 stated, what black Uhuru do best is to register a sound and a viewpoint that are equally comfortable in Trenchtown, London, or Brooklyn. Pop consumers, particularly in America, who have previously been put off by the apocalyptic vision and theocentric themes of reggae music, will not feel threatened by the universal call to faith of Red and the imaginative music that accompanies this uplifting scheme should satisfy anyone's soul. Even though Black Uhuru was making records aimed at breaking them through in major pop music markets, the incorporation of a more fluid rhythmic bass and other elements borrowed from dub gave them a unique and sophisticated sound that went well beyond what many other popular reggae artists of the day were doing. A lot of that had to do with Sly's imaginative use of the stepper's beat, which is the four on the floor of reggae drum beats. The kick drum is on all four downbeats in each measure, leaving lots of opportunity to vary the rhythms that play on top via the snare, toms, cymbals, and percussion. Sly also popularized the rocker's beat, which features the kick drum on one and three while the snare is on beats two and four. What was it like for the leading reggae band of the 80s to play an arena show in America? Well, nearly 40 years ago, in April 1982, the police and Black Uhuru played three sold-out nights at the old Brendan Byrne Arena, hard by the New Jersey Turnpike in East Rutherford, New Jersey, just a few miles outside Manhattan.
according to an NME review of the April 1982 show. It looks intriguing from a distance, the burn arena, glowing in the darkness of the New Jersey Meadowlands. But it starts to look scary as you get up close. Open last year, this is the first American arena built specifically for concerts, not sports events, and it was designed with crowd control functions primarily in mind. It is an impenetrable, uninviting fortress. The high fence surrounding the building gives it a concentration camp feel, and the security boys searching everyone at the gates for bottles, cans, and cameras don't do much to dispel the impression. The loudspeakers outside blaring a constant tape-looped warning against trying to smuggle in these forbidden items update the image to 1984. The building talks, imposes, threatens. You get to your seat feeling intimidated and small. But that's not right. That's not right. That's not right in this site. Because can you believe it? Black Uhuru are on that big stage. And Black Uhuru make me feel warm and big and in touch with strange reservoirs of determination and strength. It's just a little bit harder in a place like this, and it takes a little bit longer. biggest place Black Uhuru had ever played in, though not the biggest number of people. The vast majority of the audience were still in their cars driving towards the gig when Black Uhuru took the stage at the dot of 7.30 p.m. The police, they knew, wouldn't be on till 9.30 p.m. So Black Uhuru sang to those who were there and worked their magic well. Michael Rose danced around the way he does, an inspired shaman full of grace. Puma danced around the way she does, an elegant, sturdy, strong woman. Ducky stood glowering the way he does, a tight-lipped, almost silent partner. They looked bright and beautiful, draped in colors that could carry over distance. The guitars rang out, a clear, compelling sound, and the keyboards played inventive flourishes all over the melodies, and it was sweet music. At the end, Sly and Robbie did their dub outro, dub-wise at the Meadowlands, and the audience applauded. Not thunderously, not enough to get them an encore, but they didn't just run off to get another hot dog. This was by no means a small victory. The shows were so popular that Sting, who was very aware of his public persona at the height of his fame, did a photo shoot with Michael Rose in Central Park in New York City. True to their convictions and in contrast to sellout shows in concrete arenas, Black Uhuru also played Soledad Prison in California in August 1982 after their shows with the police. The show took place in the midst of a partial lockdown, but the previously tense atmosphere seems to have lifted once the music started.
amazingly, this show, on par with iconic performances by Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison and B.B. King at the Cook County Jail, was broadcast live on FM radio in California. The sound quality is surprisingly good, and the euphoric exultations of joy by the prisoners during the concert's call and response moments will cause goosebumps. For their part, Black Uhuru seem to also feed off the energy of their captive audience as the show goes on, and the passion in their playing and voices is palpable. love the delicious irony of the band performing their ode to marijuana in a prison where a fair number of prisoners were likely being held for possession of a substance that is now legal in many places in the U.S. enjoyed this episode of Punky Reggae Party. My book, Ska Boom, is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com, as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>